Welcome to Health Impressions, the show about authority, acquisition, and retention. I'm your co-host, Brian Cush, co-founder of Title Health Group, a digital marketing agency specializing in healthcare. I'm accompanied by Jay Parkinson, Chief Medical Officer of SANA, a health plan that delivers high-quality healthcare while keeping costs down. Our show focuses on the cross-sections of marketing, patient experience, and product development. We explore strategies for providing high-quality care, enhancing patient experience, and retention through cutting-edge technologies. We'll be speaking with like-minded industry leaders who will be sharing their learnings and spilling some secrets, too. Jared, welcome to the show. Uh, it's such a blast for you to be here. I've uh, been lucky enough to be a guest on your shows, lucky enough to bump into you in conferences, even lucky enough to introduce you to Jay in person at conferences. So it's great to finally have you on. Uh, really welcome to the show. Brian and Jay, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite. I've seen you part of so many conversations around this topic. So I think we're going to steer in many different directions. And I feel like this is a softball that can get knocked anywhere. But I just love to just, how do you even begin to start to think about making consumer-centric experiences in healthcare? Yeah, well, you know what's funny? It sounds like a softball question, and there's actually a lot of di- different directions you can go with it. Uh, where I like to start is is always just setting some context for the consumer discussion in general, right? I mean, we're all still at different levels or different stages along the spectrum or this journey of being more consumer-minded. And I don't know that we have the full destination yet, but it's helpful for everyone to at least start at a closer starting point, right? And the the main things that are happening, the main evolutions that have happened in healthcare are that that consumers don't just have choices, they have expectations. Back in the day when the word consumerism was first kind of being minted or coined out there, we talk about it, how consumers have choices now, you know, uh, for, for a lot of different types of care. And I feel like that has evolved to say, now they have expectations. And that's a whole different layer to what it means to address those, to acknowledge them, to address them, to to have it be part of a care journey. And one of the reasons for that is that consumers are demanding an experience that more aligns with their expectations. And that wasn't always the case. We didn't always know that first and foremost, that we had certain choices and that those choices would either be a more complicated experience or a simpler experience. But what we're learning is as more types of of traditional and non-traditional organizations are offering some kind of care that does change our expectations, the pandemic changed our expectations about things in general, about life and how how simple and how uh, less complicated things could be. And as an everyday person, you know, uh, the definition of a consumer, right, is somebody uh, who isn't necessarily being actively seen by a healthcare professional at that point in time. Uh, I'd like to think, I, I don't like to get too caught up in the wording, but I think it, it helps to set up a discussion because uh, a lot of healthcare leaders can get caught up in the, well, they're, they're not a consumer, they're not a customer, they're my patient. And there's a lot of value to that. And what I like to say is it's not taking away from the dignity of patient care to acknowledge that somebody is having life happen during the time that they're not being actively seen by 
a healthcare professional, right? So there's a lot of things that happen in our lives that affect our health choices that aren't just happening from the time that you'd consider it yourself being a patient. And so it's it's a tricky line to uh, to walk there, but I think that's kind of the the starting point for for the conversation about what to do with the consumer experience, how to improve it, why it matters. Is because consumers are demanding something. Their their expectations have changed. They're demanding something that aligns with those expectations, and they're seeing a lot of non traditional organizations out there offering some type of easier experience, something that we consider more consumer friendly. And so they're saying, well, can my hospital, can my provider, can, can this be easier? It seems like it's easier over there. That's interesting. So what do you think um, as a traditional provider or a traditional hospital, what do you think's table stakes right now for what consumers expect? Great question. So they do expect it to be easier to schedule an appointment and they expect an appointment to be uh, more available. Uh, what's the, the latest stat I saw? And again, uh, the stat is different everywhere. The latest stat that I saw that the average time to get an appointment scheduled was 26 days. And that was up from 24, that was in 2022. Uh, I've, I've seen different stats. It actually seems a little low to me, but that's what the primary care provider, right? So, you're like, I hope I'm not still sick in 26 days. <laughs> you know, so I want to see somebody a lot sooner than that today, tomorrow. Uh, I'll just go to an urgent care, you know, or, or whatnot, or I've got to go to the ER. Uh, so I think the availability of an appointment uh, is one. I think it's not too much to ask to ha at least have some greater visibility of what something will cost you before going in. And sometimes that th that is that's one of the complex things here, I have to acknowledge that is not just, uh, let me throw up the, the charge master spreadsheet out there, like a lot of hospitals have done. Uh, that doesn't help anybody, I don't think, <laughs> you know, to, to see the whole uh, price list. That can't be done, but can there be a little bit more explanation of, of an awareness of what something's going to cost before you go in? And then the, uh, the digital abilities, the, the options there, uh, some some types of care I'm not going to want to come in to the provider. You know, if it's a well, if it's a surgical follow up, can I do that virtually? Is it easy to have that virtual visit happen? Uh, and is it clear that that's either going to cost this much or it's included? Uh, you know, if I'm uh, you know I was speaking with a a mother of young children pretty recently who for a follow up appointment. It's about an hour and a half to the nearest to the children's specialty hospital in her area, and for those follow up appointments, uh, she'd have to take off work. You know, she'd have to make that drive. Uh, she'd have to coordinate uh, care for her uh, other children uh, just to come in for follow up visits. She's like, "Can I?" Please? At the time, uh, they weren't offering a virtual option there, so she's like, "Can I?" That would be a perfect way, a perfect time for a virtual visit to happen. So. Uh, I think just having those things offered, uh, more availability, more access, somewhat more visibility on priced list. I, I'm I'm not going to sit here and say it's it's possible uh, at this point in time to really be transparent on pricing, but a little bit better of an idea of what it would cost. Some of the things. Yeah, it's interesting in terms of pricing. The way I always think about it is there's kind of commodities and quests, 
you know, a commodity is like, I need a chest X-ray. Right. And that's, yep. that should be really clear. But quests are like, I have no idea what you got. I got to see it before I figure out how much I need to do. And that is real. That's probably impossible. You know, um, at the same time, I just, uh, my poor puppy was in the hospital, um, a few weeks ago. And that conversation that I had with the, uh, veterinarian upon his admission, to the hospital was pretty fascinating. It was essentially a line item list that he had pre-prepared prior to the, the, the sort of seeing my dog, but kind of knew what was going on. He pre-prepared this list. After we were done talking, he was like, okay, here's the, here's the list of 30 things we're going to do. And each list line item had a, um, a range of prices. So the bottom range was, you know, I think it was 3000 and the upper range was like 5,000. And he was like, you good with this? And I'm like, you know, anything for this golden doodle I have. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it was, a, that to me was one of the more fascinating ways. You always, I always tend to look outside of healthcare for inspiration. And the vet world is actually a really interesting sort of more cutting edge in terms of like medical services uh, than the uh, human world. So, I found that pretty interesting. It's a really good point. Dental's a lot, a lot, the, a lot the same you know, in terms of uh, you're getting your your reminder appointments. You're getting more information that is very mm-hmm. personalized to you just along the way and in places that now we expect it. So yeah, it's a little yeah. different than it used to be. Well, it's interesting because like you know you started off talking about like the consumer of healthcare, like. I actually have this, like, I don't know, probably unpopular opinion that the consumer of healthcare is the doctor, you know, because they're actually the ones spending the money. They're just like, it's basically, they're like going to Amazon, you know, not seeing any reviews, not seeing any prices and getting to like use someone else's credit card. You know, it's just the patient is this like third party, you know, that is kind of like everything spent on their behalf and they really don't have much say. Nor well, they have say, but they don't have much sort of expertise to understand like what to spend. Um, but it's 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 an interesting sort of dynamic to think about. You know, who is actually the the consumer of healthcare? It is. You know what I've I've heard that uh, that dialogue before because you can also make the case that it's the payer, you know, the the one mm-hmm. who's who's actually uh, covering the cost of a, an engagement yeah. encounter procedure or whatnot. So there can be a case yeah. for that. You know, so, you know, again, it's, it's a good use of, you know, do those terms help us understand that there are needs and expectations and choices now that are more apparent and more available than there used to be. So whatever we call that, you know, the, the, the person who's seeking care, um, you know, can we be comfortable with, with that thought uh, and not, you know, not worry too much about the wording. And again, like I've, I've probably been one who's like, has gotten stuck on the wording before in the past. And so I'm, I, yeah. I, I've just seen the value of uh, opening up that conversation, h- however it makes sense to us. Yeah, definitely. I, I have to call out just the parallel lives we must be living right now, Jay, that we didn't coordinate our white t-shirts. And I literally just had a whole episode with my dog at the vet about a week ago. And it was like one of the more pleasant experiences. And it was wild how, I had to get in an emergency visit, a pre-held slots for emergency visits, 
but were very explicit that there's a premium you pay to get in the same day. Came in that half like 10 minutes, they saw the problem, tiered out, they said, here's the $45 antibiotic, option one we're gonna take, here's the option two, here's option three, these are the scales of prices, tell me where. And literally had the exact same reaction. It was like, great, you've set the expectation, I'm cool with all of this, do whatever you need to make her better. But it's wild because I mean, you're the one putting the bill for this, I mean, this is, you know, is going on your credit card. So like that, that, it, there's a different expectation in that world, right? That they should treat you differently and they should be more sort of, you know, it's like the epitome of the member experience, you know, mm. um, if you're like the member of that, that veterinarian's practice, like they're going to treat you like, you know, they need to retain your business. It's very interesting. It's sometimes like the patients are treated in healthcare medical doctor care um, as just like some, uh, you know, necessary third party. I'm, I'm curious both your takes on this. Maybe I talked it to you, Jared, first is, do you still see those table stakes that Jay asked you about as differentiators? Uh, it's funny to me. I think that was one of the primary things cited in the one medical acquisition was the ability to have same day and walk-in appointment availability. Whatever the unit economics was, I forget what percentage they said that they kind of always have same day, but that was cited as a primary kind of value add or a market differentiator. Do we, do, do we feel that that's still a differentiator or is that kind of becoming the universal and then people are thinking further to differentiate? Uh, I would say it totally depends on the market that you're in. Uh, I've learned how different each local healthcare market is. Uh, depending on who, what those choices are, who's available, what's available. Uh, and rural versus urban is different as well. I absolutely think it can still be a differentiator. We are far from those being universally available features or, or benefits, for lack of a better word. Uh, they are far from universally offered. And especially in, in a lot of rural markets, same day isn't necessarily possible. Uh, a lot more virtually than it used to be but it's it's still not universal at all uh for that average to be still 26 days i mean i'm i'm sitting here and admittedly my primary care doctor for my family is a direct primary care doctor right so it's subscription based it's somewhat similar i feel like it's a slightly less concierge version of one medical but it is subscription based i can see the doctor as often as i want i was literally just texting him this morning uh to schedule my physical for next week he had availability tomorrow, as it turns out, but I was like, let's just do it, let's do it next week, right? Um, I've never been able to do that with the primary care doctor prior to that. So I, not everyone has the same choices around me. Uh, I don't have a, uh, a Walmart health clinic in Arizona, although they're opening several in the Phoenix area in 2024, right? So it will be here, uh, but I don't have that. I do have a Village MD clinic in a Walgreens less than a mile from my house. I have three urgent cares within a, a mile of my house. So I feel like I have some things covered, but that's going to look very different to somebody else who doesn't have as much of an option or as much competition, if you will, to, to make that a priority. And that is not an easy thing to, uh, to, you know, I, I want to acknowledge the, the complexity in offering some of these things, right? It's not as easy as like, let's just uh, implement it. It's, it's so different than, you know, implementing Epic, you know, or, uh, 
implementing some new software to make things streamlined. It's like, there's a lot involved in, in having availability, uh, have less of a wait time. There's a philosophy change there. There are operational changes. There's buy-in that has to happen there. So, um, long wave saying to me, it still feels very, very conditional based on the market dynamics and what those choices are. Um, I feel in, in most markets, it probably still can be a differentiator just because we have so far to go. I think that's an interesting um, observation. Uh, you mentioned like Walmart and Village MD. Um, and I've always thought of it in terms of like, does the doctor's name like come above the brand or is, you know, the brand the, you know, above the doctor's name. And so in the past, it was always the doctor who never really worked for a brand. And all of a sudden they're working for one medical or village MD and they're, they're essentially interchangeable now. Like, Oh, I get my care from one medical. They never say like, I get my care from Dr. Smith. He just happens to be at one medical, you know? So there's this interesting transition that's happened. I think in the last, I would say 15 years where doctors are now kind of like no longer a brand. They're just kind of like a, you know, retail worker. Um, is that something that people are, you think are going to welcome or is that, you know, are they going to welcome the like convenience of what the brand offers or are they more interested in, um, you know, having that old fashioned doctor? I think, well, again, don't you hate it when people say it depends but it kind of, it kind of does, right? It depends yeah, on yeah. Your, your personal health situation, right? Uh, are you a family with young children in the home uh, who it's going to benefit you to be able to say, yeah, we, we, we got rashes, we got coughs going on, we, we got sore throats. Uh, what do we need? You know, I don't want to wait 26 days. I don't want to go to the urgent care. Uh, I feel like some, some health situations are going to facilitate the need for a uh, more relationship-based approach uh, to finding primary care. So some of those, um, I mean, compared to a young, you know, single 25 year old, you know, living in the city who doesn't have chronic health challenges, uh, may not even see the need for a primary care doctor at all. Maybe they're okay with the convenient every now and then, you know, I just want to check my vitals kind of a thing. Uh, it could definitely depend there. I do see for sure that that has been a trend of the I, I love the way you put that jay of having the brand above the doctor's name now and I, I i can see that playing to some people and not others i mean my parents would probably rather still have the relationship with their existing doctor versus like i i don't know if they're the most trusting people right so they're not going to just going to be like oh i'm going to go try something else they're going to be like well Dr. So-and-so has served us well for all these years. We're going to keep going there. Uh, yeah, it seems like it depends. Yeah, no, it definitely depends. I guess the question is like, you know, what type of persona would be attracted to the branded doctor over the, you know, personal doctor? So it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 none, none of these questions are answered just yet. I think it's going to have to play out over the next 10 years. You know, but uh, it looks like the brand is going to start winning soon. Yeah, and so I think it's evolving. I mean, you, Jay, how long ago Sherpa was that concept of a brand at the initial episode of care? And I think that's where the disassociation started. The first was primary care. It's kind of the easiest model to break to go, well, we can create a brand 
that people will entry into their episode of care. And then as you went down kind of the more invasive steps of care, it generally then shifted over to the provider. But now you're seeing these entry points and even clients that we've worked with that have taken slices of specialized care and put a brand there because the consumer of healthcare has become so informed. And as we continue to shift to this retailization of healthcare, people expect to have a consumer experience, which is very generally brand forward. So we're seeing it even move down kind of the episode of care past primary care and entry points kind of along the way. Um, I love that question. It's the one we're always kind of tackling and battling with. Well, right. Yeah. And that, that's always based on our own perspective, right? It's, it's really easy to project your, your personal perspective of the care that you need in your life and just assume that everyone else feels the same way. And this is what, what I'm trying to work on myself and, and, and learn more is, you know, I can put myself in my parents' shoes or my children's or, you know, or colleagues and friends and loved ones. And everyone has a different level of need, a different perspective of what type of relationship they need. Uh, is it more preventive? Is it more hereditary? You know, is it more chronic conditions? It's diff it, it varies so much. And so it's, it's helping us, I think. I think the conversation has evolved uh, to a better place where we're acknowledging that and not just saying, hey, I'm sure either no one's going to go to the CVS, you know, to the Minute Clinic, or everyone's going to go. It doesn't help us to, to deal with those absolutes. That's what I like about what you've both said here is that it's helped to recognize the, the variety of care needs that are out there because some of those things are going to facilitate a different approach and a different likelihood of going to uh, like the grocery store for your wellness check, uh, right? HEB, you know, grocery chain, I, I think they're based in central Texas. They just opened up a couple of more wellness clinics. They have a subscription-based health primary care service. You go to the grocery store, right? I'm like, I don't know if that would be ideal for me, but it might be ideal for somebody else. I don't know. Like there's, it's just, they're popping up everywhere. Well, it's interesting because the concept of the brand has been there for ever since like, you know, Baptist hospital in X city became a thing, you know what I'm saying? And it's like that there's always been that brand, but I guess there's just like this next generation of brand that's like independent from the local provider, local hospital system, you know? And I guess that's where the, uh, the, the big disconnect is at the same time. If you look at the numbers, I mean, the hospital brand is destroying these little startup brands. You know, one medical only has like a couple hundred practice, or, you know, not even a couple hundred, I'm sorry, like about 150 practices. And like, that's chump change for, you know, one of the big systems of New York City. You know what I'm saying? And, and so it's like the hospital brand is still kicking ass. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And it's, yeah, yeah it's, that's a, an important part of the perspective, I feel like. Like, we have to take that into account. That's probably why a lot of hospital systems don't like even bother with these little startup brands that are kind of like, they're interesting to us, but I think the hospitals are just like, you know, eh, get out, get, get, get out of here, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. You talk about this consumer insights department concept, Jared. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Are you seeing brands literally develop these departments or is that something more aspirational that you're championing for or both? There are, there are health systems that have a consumer insights uh, or consumer research team. I'm finding it's not a one size fits all. I'm finding 
some places it sits within marketing, some places it sits within operations and an, and an experience team, a patient experience team. So I, I think it's been homegrown depending on who championed it initially. Uh, I know of a handful though of, of organizations that do have that and it's primarily a market research function that is more than just your, your HCAPs, your, you know, your patient surveys. They're trying to take into account more of the factors that happen outside the time that you're being actively seen. And so they're trying to get a better, a better understanding of what points in an experience are uh, filled with friction, where that friction is causing them to either you know, be, be so frustrated that they're considering switching providers or making another choice uh, in terms of where to seek care. So that's the primary function there because if in a commonplace traditional setup for a hospital or health system, if you had your marketing team, they were primarily at one point, I know it's changed a lot since then, uh, but back in the day, back in the day, it was just managing advertising. And so it was kind of based on availability and channels and pricing and placements. And we're, and it was, it was a lot of spray and pray. And again, it's evolved a lot with digital channels, but if, if it's seen as a marketing function, then this is what informs and fuels all the campaign messaging, right? And, and who to send things to. Uh, and it, it facilitates the, uh, the personalization as much as possible. Uh, I'm, I'm still not believing that we can have a one-to-one -one true personalization of, of healthcare marketing at this point. There are a lot of obstacles to that. And I'm not sure that uh, that necessarily is the goal here. But the teams that I know of who are doing this are uh, actively surveying consumers in their community about not just the patient experience, but things that led up to it. how easy was it to set to to set up an appointment. Um, they're asking other questions, and so it's a combination of qualitative and quantitative research about things that again happened before or after what you what you're typically being surveyed about, and sometimes uh, that's being done in real time also, uh, which gives you a very different perspective there as well. So I, I do see it being primarily a a marketing slash market research function that that drives a strategy so that you're not sitting there uh, with a disjointed uh, approach to to the messaging. You're actually facilitating the 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 interplay between uh, experience design and marketing. And ideally, your, your digital slash IT team, you know, your dev team, whoever's uh, actively deciding what platforms to build or, or buy or, or partner with somebody on, because um, more often than not now, you need that that partner in there as well to to help enable some of this. What have you seen out there in terms of a traditional brand that's kind of like nailing it right now? That is a good question. There are a lot. I mean, there really are a lot. So uh, I feel like. Uh, Providence up in uh, the Pacific Northwest, uh, based in Washington State, I believe. Um, they've been digital first for a long time. They've been, I think they'd agree they're Amazon influenced, <laughs> for, for lack of a better term. Uh, Aaron Martin, the, their former chief uh, strategy and marketing officer, uh, came from Amazon and then uh, just um, recently went back to Amazon. So they're, they're definitely influenced. They bring a lot of methodologies there. They're actively trying to uh, invest in and develop 
platforms that enable a more consumer centered version of, of, of things like, like an identity based uh, encounter that can be transferred to a retail store or, or somewhere else that actually all of your information does stay with you and not with the facility. So digital first, I mean, they, they, they have their digital innovation group uh, and, and they definitely have a consumer minded strategy there. Uh, those guys do a lot of great work. Uh, Advocate Aurora, um, they have a, uh, well, a foundation that acknowledged uh, right when it was birthed, uh, I can't remember how many years ago, not that many years ago, that some care, if, if they're focused on the needs of the consumer in their community, not all of those health needs are going to be uh, met by traditional sick care. And so sometimes they were going to need to uh, be able to have the right partner to refer someone out to, to somewhere else or partner with community organizations to meet some of those health needs that aren't addressed by, uh, by active treatment. They're more preventive. They're, they're more uh, ongoing. And uh, that was kind of a, philo a philosophically, again, I, I don't know, I don't have any insight into how successful that is, but philosophically that matches more with the consumer minded uh, approach. Um, yeah, there, there are a lot out there. Uh, Baptist Health South Florida, you just mentioned Baptist earlier, right? Um, they're actively uh, working to incorporate a, a, a consumer insights um, approach to things. Uh, UNC Health, North Carolina, they're doing the same thing. They have a consumer insights team uh, that is housed with, in, in their case, it's in their marketing department. Um, so I feel like there are players in just about every region here that, that are acknowledging it and uh, attempting to uh, to undergo a larger transformation around a uh, consumer-minded approach. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting how much, like, I think everybody's probably trying to recreate their own wheel, like, you know, uh, separate from one another, just because, like, you know, it just goes back to the healthcare is not a $4 trillion industry. It's like 100, you know, $4 billion industries. <laughs> right or or forty billion dollar industries, right? So it's yep. like everybody's sort of thinking their own little special snowflake. But like you know, in a lot of ways, there's a patient, there's a doctor, they got to deliver care, and you know, there's not really a sort of best practice just yet because it's like everything is being independently built. And you know, I think it's interesting what what you said about um, about uh, Providence um, in that. Like, well, they obviously took inspiration from Amazon and said, like, what can we bring from Amazon to healthcare? And it's another example of just like healthcare is never the place that I look at for like, a, you know, inspiration. It's always like, you know, again, look at the vets, you know, look at Amazon. Like, how is that going to impact like the ideal patient experience? Um, but yeah, it's it's funny just because it's like, it's really just leadership, isn't it? It's like Providence's leadership acknowledges that there's just almost a lack of leadership across a lot of like health systems uh, that aren't very visionary, I guess. But the ones that are, you know, they're a minority, but they're like, they really stand out. So it's, it's important to call them out for their success. Well, right. And, you know, you, I, I try not to sound like too much, like I'm pointing the fingers, right? Like, there's a lot of reasons why it's not that easy for health systems to have evolved and to have created that visionary function that's able to see 
what's happening on the consumer side. I mean, the the whole approach to the mandates associated with the meaningful use of, of EHRs um, being forced on the clinical community. Um, I feel like timing wise, you know, uh, who would be excited in the clinical world uh, to be told, hey, look, now we need to start changing our approach to care. We need to make it yeah. easier to uh uh, to schedule us, we need to be, you know, we need to have all these extra things to do. And I, I, I do think it's, it's worth pointing out that if consumer, if you think about it in a visionary way, a consumer transformation, like the larger scale thing, what needs to happen in our organization to facilitate consumer minded innovation, ideally, if that's being done right, I'm convinced it doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be done at the expense of the provider it should not add any burden to a provider. Uh, Cause a lot of times the provider's experience is actually what improves the consumer's experience. And so, you know, it's, it's a way of acknowledging it and, and being very aware that this isn't just like another uh, mandated platform that you have to learn to use again. It, it's not like the EHR era. Uh, it is a transformation that should make things easier. A lot of times this is going to be not adding things to processes. It hopefully is taking things like reducing things, simplifying things. And if that's possible, then hopefully, again, that, that should be the, the goal here, doing that without adding any burden to the provider. And I know that's not easy, but but that should be part of the awareness and part of the goal. And I, I do think that uh, it's worth mentioning just because it can be easily construed as, uh, what else do I have to do now? <laughs> and rightfully, rightfully so. Yeah, I'm curious. In one of the systems you referenced, I forget which one, that their differentiator was that they were owning the consumer's experience uh, even when it was care that they couldn't provide under their own hood. And it's funny, like the first thing I thought about was that's Miracle on 34th Street. Like that was the sales philosophy. If you remember that movie that when they brought Chris Kringle in was like, no, no, no we just need to meet our customer's need. It was like, even if we don't have this product, it's not in stock or we don't sell it, let's already have a pre-vetted list on where to send that person to kind of solve their problem. And the whole kind of philosophy of that was it increased just the trust of the brand. And what's really interesting in healthcare to all of this is like, that's a very low lift. Like there's no technology implementation. There's no cost to that. Uh, I'm curious, like your view on that, what does that do to brand loyalty within healthcare? Is that an area to focus on? Uh, well, I will, I'll attempt to explain from, you know, from my point of view, rather than Providence's, um, uh, yeah, cause uh, you know, hopefully I represented other uh, approach, right. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but from my point of view, my question would be kind of taking a step back from there and saying, how do we know what brand loyalty looks like right now from traditional, from a hospital or health system? How do we know that patients are actually as loyal as we think they are, uh, to staying within our health system? for all of our health needs. Um, I'm not convinced every provider organization has their finger on that pulse, uh, that, that sometimes we can overestimate what that is because, Hey, it, look, we've been in the, in the community for a hundred years. Um, uh, we've been providing, uh, these needs, these services for all this time. I'm sure we have loyalty. I guess it, it's answering a question with a question. I'm, I'm being very difficult today, <laughs> um, but but that's where my mind goes on that one. Because if that's the case, uh, are we are we acknowledging? And I, I do think this is where uh, Providence has gone with this line of thought: is uh, 
if consumers are going to have more expectations and and make choices not as often based on brand loyalty as we used to think in other words if if there is an easier path to take care of some of their needs will they take it more often do we just accept that and figure out really what you 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 change your entire approach to uh, from a marketing standpoint, activating new patients, uh, retaining them, keeping them within your brand, uh, you approach it very differently uh, as, uh, as opposed to thinking, hey, we've always had their loyalty and these other non-traditional folks who are offering things, retailers and digital health startups, uh, we don't have to worry about them. Uh, that's just going to not make much of a dent. That's possible it might not make that much of a dent. It's, it's just recognizing that that's, a again, a different approach and it's either accepting that uh, as a reality or not. And that would change your approach to, uh, to how you attempt to keep people more loyal to your brand. No, I love that. It makes me think, and even Jay's referenced before the commodity versus quest and something we've always been preachers of, especially on the quest side is care can be very complex, but that patient will remember who helped them ultimately solve their problem even if it wasn't you, the individual provider. And that creates even a brand loyalty to that referring individual or practice or external brand that you ultimately did right by that consumer and that patient. Uh, and I, I don't know, I love that analogy. And it seems like a very low lift entry to shifting more towards a consumer forward mindset. You know, I do have one, in, one question that I'd love your take on. Um, healthcare is often super episodic and there's a lot of like downtime in between those episodes. Um, how does a healthcare brand stay relevant in those downtimes? Have you seen any sort of best practices or interesting approaches to staying top of mind? Well, I won't say TikTok, uh, but no, that, 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 that you know, it could be, uh, what is it? Thread, threads now too, right? Uh, yeah, insert threads. I'm being facetious, right? But um, uh, short answer is I, I've always felt like providing engaging, relevant health information uh, in a way that the people are already engaging, that they can passively consume. Uh, there is a lot of value to that still. Um, that said, that is one of the hardest things like a, a, a marketing team can do or a clinical team can try to do is, is try to do that uh, because everyone's needs are so different and uh, all the privacy laws and regulatory laws associated with the data that you get from uh, primary sources, as well as, you know, any marketing partners you have, it's not easy. So there, there's so much nuance in that as well. Um, but yeah, but if you're able to deliver on that, if, if there's, if there's content that's engaging and again, that's, that's not easy either. Um, I feel like people can sniff it out a mile away these days. And if something isn't as engaging as something they're, they're seeing uh, on, on social media, then they might not engage with it as much. So yeah, that's one way. It's interesting because it's like, do hospital, do local hospital networks now, or do they look at their like competition as like goop or something like that in terms of like engaging health content. Right. <laughs> so should a hospital become like a more sort of medical goop? Are they trying to, or is, you know, is anybody even really experimenting with like really good content or is it mostly just like green smoothie recipes? Oh, I've seen, uh, there, yeah. there are a lot, there are a lot who are, 
uh, miles ahead, I feel like here that, that do know what they're yeah. doing with content uh, and are yeah. providing it in an engaging way. Yeah, it just takes, yeah. Yeah, it takes a lot of reps <laughs> to get good at that. Yeah. Jared, it's always a blast to reconnect with you. Uh, appreciate your time. Appreciate all your experience. Uh, anywhere that's kind of best for people to connect with you where you're maybe most active online as well? Uh, definitely active on LinkedIn. The podcast is called Healthcare Wrap. Uh, we, we publish every week. We've been doing that for over five years and and um, just love that as an opportunity to to engage with with people who are doing things a little different or, or uh, ways for us to understand what's happening uh, out there in the consumer side of disruption that impacts those everyday health choices for uh, for us as people. There's, there's a lot that goes on inside and outside of the traditional healthcare system. And so we're always trying to understand what why is that brand doing that? <laughs> that? That kind of thing. So we'll invite people on uh, there. But yeah, those are probably the easiest places to find me. And thanks again for uh, uh, for inviting me here. It's been a blast. I'm glad we could solve all the problems in healthcare. I got a fun fact to leave us on. I think the team member that's helping us produce this uh, connected me with you years ago when I was a gift in your podcast. And she saw the name Healthcare Rap. And I don't know if you know this, Jay, it's Rap, like R-A-P. Like he had, used to do a lot of raps. Mm-hmm. And he was, she was like, you're not allowed to go on that podcast because you're going to embarrass the hell out of yourself. Probably not the first person that, that has been told that. <laughs> the, the guests are not required to rap for, for the record. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Health Impressions, Authority, Acquisition, Retention. We hope you found the conversation insightful and thought-provoking. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please leave us a review. Your feedback will only help us improve the show. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us on social media, or you can send us an email at media at titlehealthgroup.com. T-I-D-A-L healthgroup.com. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep pushing the boundaries of your knowledge. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you again soon.